Xavier, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time I heard someone say, man, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know today about money. They need to be teaching about this stuff in school. Like the power of investing early. Compound interest. That alone would impact lives. Understanding and planning for taxes. Understanding the difference between both good debt and bad debt. Eric, what about all the stuff about money that business owners need to know? What kind of insurance should you be buying? The importance of contributing towards your retirement. They don't teach any of this stuff in school. Y'all sit back, get ready, because we are talking stuff about money they didn't teach you in school that you need to know. Welcome back to Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School podcast. I'm Xavier Angel, certified financial planner, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Eric Garcia, financial certified financial planner. And today, Eric, I'm driving into work this morning, and as usual, Grace is sitting in the backseat of the car. She's got my, my iPhone, and she's playing DJ in the back uh-huh. of the car, and, and the phone rings. And as usual, I've, I've always told Grace, when you have my phone, if it rings, I need you to answer it. And so she answers the phone, and, and it's a client of mine, and they start asking me about the markets and investments, and you know they've got some very specific questions. So as I'm explaining to the client how this particular investment works in, in the markets, Grace stops me and she says, Daddy, you're making it too complicated. Let me explain it. And, and so I, I handed it over. I said, okay, Grace, go ahead. Talk, talk about it. Hold on, hold on. For context, so Grace, how old is Grace? Grace is 11 years okay. old. Just turned 11 in January. Okay, Daddy, you're complicating it. All right, carry on. Yes. Yeah, so, so Grace comes back and, and she starts explaining how the markets and investments work. And she's using the, the concept of fidgets and poppets. It, it, <laughs> if you know what those poppets are, they're the little things you pop in. And so she's explaining it. And as she's explaining it, I had to start thinking, I'm like, wow, sometimes we make things too complicated, you know, where we could actually explain things in, in, in a more simpler term. Um, so that that's why yeah. I'm, I'm actually excited about our guests that we have coming on today. Yeah. So Billy, Dr. Billy Williams, a good friend of mine, we've been, we've been working together, man, for, oh gosh, Billy, what, four or five years now? Four or five four or years. Five yes, years. Sir, yes, so, sir. so Billy is... Let me kind of put it in context for you that I'm going to have give Billy an opportunity to, to introdu- introduce himself. But Billy is a mentor. So if you understand what a mentor is, a mentor is someone who has been there, done that, and has given you advice from a perspective of someone who's already accomplished it. So, uh, And that's what Billy is. Billy has built several successful businesses. Our paths crossed in the insurance space. Uh, we're at a conference together and we hit it off. And uh, one of the things I, I and Xavier, your, your intro story is perfect because one of the things that Billy does brilliantly is he takes things that are complicated and he simplifies the living heck out of them. So y'all are in for a treat this morning. It's because I'm not smart, Eric. Y'all see smart people make things complicated. I need to decomplicate it so people like me can get it. I think I think you said well, I, I think you said once, Billy. I think I heard you say that. Um, you got the same first name and last name, so that's <laughs> that's how simple he is. My name is William R. Williams. My parents knew I was going to be dumb, and they wanted to make it as easy as possible. And that's not true. Well, look. That that being said, I've heard some of Eric's conversations, and, and um, everything that you that he's heard you use, 
you know, he's actually taken it on, on, on his own and, and translates that and makes things a lot simpler when he communicates. Yeah. So Billy, t- tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then once you do that, then I'm going to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests. So just tell me a little bit about yourself. And then I'm going to ask you a, 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 a very important question. Uh, yep. Yeah, military brat grew up, did 22 years, myself active. My dad did 35 years, very structured, very disciplined, learned basic things that I can apply to anything. My dad always had this saying about driving a car. He's like, once you learn to drive a car, anybody can throw you their keys and you can figure out how to make the car work, right? You can figure out how to drive the car. So I've just tried to learn the basics of life so that I could figure out those same basics and other things that I take on. So that's, that's really it. Like I said, 22 years retired, been in the insurance industry going on 18 years now, started out as an agent, uh, went into investing in agencies. I'm a part of about 170 plus agencies around the country that I have some equity in. And I just learn and pay attention and try to pass that on to other agents that are not part of our investment arm, but want us to come in and share some of our best practices. Yeah. So Billy, what, what branch of the military? Army, sir. All right. Well, thank you for your duty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank How come you. when people talk about the military, Billy, they always make it sound like like prison time. I did 22 years. I did 35 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a mindset. For some people, it probably was prison. For me, it was learning. The military paid for every bit of education I ever had, whether that's personal education, civilian education, academic. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I have a PhD and I didn't pay a penny for school. Right. Now, what's your PhD? What's your PhD in? Finance, international finance, international finance. Okay, so yeah, so um, that's my concentration is international finance. Awesome, but uh, but yeah, and so and I didn't pay a penny for it. So it wasn't prison time for me. It was it was education time. I felt like I did twenty two years of an advanced degree program. That's how I felt about it. All right, so, all right, Billy. So, what's one thing about money that you now know today? that you mm-hmm. wish you would have known maybe 20 or 30 years ago? The power of compound interest. Oh, tell us about that. I'm telling you, the power of compound interest. When, okay, let me tell you the story. When I was young, when in the military, my dad still kind of guided my, all my decisions. He said, you need to start an allotment. And that allotment, what an allotment is, is you take you take a percentage of your paycheck and you basically stick it in the bank somewhere, right? Mm. So I took, in the beginning, I think it was 50% of my paycheck and I just stuck it in the bank because I was living in the barracks. I was eating in the mess hall. You know what I'm saying? I was living on base. I didn't need a car or any of that stuff yet. So I just took my money and put it into a savings account. And I literally did that. For six years, the first six years of my military career, that money was just going into a savings account. Wow. And I was so excited because I was watching my savings get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And I thought I was living La Vida Loca <laughs> until I discovered if I had put that in something that made interest, if I had used compound interest, I would have had double the amount of money. So even though I was comfortable with that amount of money I had saved, because I didn't really understand the power of compound interest and how it works. Well, once I figured it out and I started putting it into a money market, I think that was my my first 
thing I did. I threw it in money markets. I was making, I don't know, one and a half, two percent, whatever it was. And then I started, uh, I think the next level was I threw it into a life insurance, a whole life insurance policy. So I was making some money there. And then I went to an annuity or IRA, I think. And I mean, so just as I've grown financially, I've learned that more things make compound interest. But what it's also taught me was that compound interest works both ways, mm, right? Yep. Compound so- interest for the lender and compound interest for the borrower. So oh. two two important things I heard in there, Billy. Is, is one one is compound interest, and the other is savings. Um, yes. So we we've actually talked about savings, um, and that brings me to a, a quote that um, that I heard you say: um, "Most people make enough money uh, to get into trouble, but don't save enough to get out of trouble um, when they get into financial uh, uh, situations." So. Talk about that, because I, I think that is a powerful quote. Well, that came about really for the military when I was in the military, as I had subordinates, you know, troops that were under me, and I had to teach them finance and all that kind of stuff. We'd kind of teach these young privates how to manage their money, how to do whatever. And they would go and they'd get this paycheck every two weeks and they'd go do stupid stuff with it. They'd go to the we finance auto lot, you know, they come back with some souped up car and, they, and then they go to uh, these furniture stores and rent furniture for their apartment and do all this. So they made enough money to get into trouble. But then all the moment, the moment something bad happened, you don't have a big enough nest egg to get out of trouble. And I see that with businesses as well especially in insurance where we have that residual income coming in on a regular basis. I see people making commitments that are just Mm. ridiculous. So 700 bucks a month for this and 900 bucks a month for this. And they'll hire people and pay them one and a half times what they should be, what they should be paying them. So they make enough money to get into trouble, but they never save enough money. So that when something bad happens and something bad is going to happen, inevitable. I mean, that's just life, right? Mm -hmm. Something is going to happen. Now all of a sudden you're caught short. So that's, that's where I get that from. And I've just applied that through life. And my dad had this thing. If you can't pay for it twice, you can't afford it. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on. Say that again. Say that again. If you can't pay for it twice, you can't afford it. So if I'm buying something Hmm. and let's say it costs a thousand dollars, if I don't have $2,000, I really can't afford that because now I'm living at that 100% and you should never live at 100% of your total debt, right? What you can pay for. So that's kind of the rule I have. If I can't pay for it twice, so how would you? I can't. How would, I mean, that, that's deep. How would you apply that to something that you're financing? Let's say I'm going to buy a car or buying a house. Would it mm-hmm. Would it be like if I can't pay that mortgage twice over in the month, or that exactly. that note twice over in the if month? If I can't pay double that mortgage, then I can't afford it. So if my mortgage is twenty five hundred dollars, wow, and I couldn't pay five thousand dollars, I can't afford it because I don't have any wiggle room. What happens if yeah. something goes bad? What happens if the stock market blows up? What happens if, you know, heaven forbid, you you get hacked? And that actually has happened to me where my accounts got hacked and got frozen. You know what I mean? So if I wasn't in a situation where I had excess money or money on the side where I could still manage that, then I'm screwed. I just, so I, no, I think, I think, motto. I think, seventy five percent of Americans right now. When you just said, if you can't pay for something twice, don't buy it. Seventy five percent of Americans are 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 in trouble. 
Probably more than that, probably man. More. Probably more than that. Probably more. I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could pay for my lifestyle twice over right now in this moment. I don't know. Man. And again, it, when I say pay for it twice, I'm mainly talking the the monthly yeah. bills that come in. If you can't afford your monthly bills, if you can't double your monthly bills, yeah. then you're going to get caught short at some point because something is going to happen. If you make four hundred and twenty dollars and your car payments three hundred ninety bucks, you got a problem. Literally, you are one bad situation away from being laid on a car payment, and now you're laid on a car payment, which means your credit is screwed up. Right. So when you're when you're working with these agency owners and, and individuals, mm-hmm. is is there is there an amount that you you would like them to have on the side set up and and let's call it a, a rainy day fund or an emergency fund. Is there yes, an amount that you'd like them to have in there? Well, they have to for in order for me to even think about investing or agreeing to be partnering or anything, they have to, it's 30%. So whatever your revenue flow is, I need 30% of that on the side. Now that 30% can be in something that's generating uh, income. It can be 30% in something that's generating dividends. It can, I don't care, but it can't just be something you spend. You have to, you can only live off 70% of whatever you're making. Right. And that's almost biblical. If you think about it, you know what I mean? It's right. you really don't need that. I mean, if you go back to the, to the Bible and you think about when, when Pharaoh and I think, it, forgive me if I'm getting the name wrong, it was Joseph or Jacob. It was one of the J's, one of the J boys, okay, was when, when Pharaoh made them the head of everything and they started to say, bring your grain, mm-hmm. bring 10% of your grain and bring this and bring that. And and you're going to have seven years. And God had told them, you're going to have seven years of feast mm-hmm. and seven years of famine, right? And during the seven years of feast, he saved and saved yep. and saved so that they could withstand the seven years of famine. Right? And it may have been Moses. Joe, it was, I don't right, know. It was, it was Joseph. You're good. You're good. Yeah, hey, one, you're, I, look, okay. you're a doctor of finance, not a doctor of theology. It's all good, brother. Right, not doing? a doctor of theology. Got you. But, I'm not, but I am smart enough to know that there are biblical principles in everything that we do. So what happens is people go through these, these years of feast. Oh, man, I'm, I'm making good money. I just got a promotion. I just got this. I got a little side gig going. I got my Amazon working. I, you know, I mean, whatever. I'm selling Melaleuca, whatever it is they're doing, right? They they have these these money years. I thought you were I thought you were starting to to, to talk into the language there, selling Melaleuca. I'm like, <laughs> no. Billy's speaking no, tongues Shackley, or something. Amway, Melaleuca, whatever they're selling, right? <laughs> and so they are. They've got these money years, but they don't save during those money years. They don't save more during the money years, right? I save 75 bucks a a week. Yeah, but you're making triple that now. Why would you save more now? And they don't do that. So they they never get to the point where they can double their bills because they save at a static level, but they their money does this, right? Which is good. At least they got that stability. But when you make more, you should save more. So, Billy, mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming that it takes um, discipline to get there. And and another thing that I read, um, you talk about the four types of discipline and, and building habits um, to make your business successful, yes, um, making money, and then also building wealth. Uh, th- tell us a little bit, what are those four types of disciplines that you talk about? Yes, sir. There's self-discipline, accountability, 
automation and technology, and then delegation or outsourcing, right? Depending mm -hmm. on whatever you want to call it. So most people rely on self-discipline. The problem with self-discipline is tied to your emotions. So the moment you emotionally change, your self-discipline changes. So you can say, I'm going to eat good. I'm going to exercise. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure this happens, make sure that happens. And all of a sudden, your dog boo-boos on your carpet. It's crawfish. And all of a sudden, it's crawfish season. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. However you want to look at that. But emotionally, something happens or you get tired or you get this. So the self-discipline goes out the door. This is where accountability comes in. Accountability is having a partner, having someone else or having a team of people who know what your intentions are. See, I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that people make with money. They hide their mistakes with money. Mm. They hide it from mm. their wife. They hide it from their from their pastor. They hide it from their friends. They hide their mistakes with money. They try to hide it so from their financial planners sometimes. They hide it from who? From their financial planners sometimes. <laughs> yes. And so because they're hiding it, there's no accountability. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They, they just can't do it. So as an example, I'll use this as an example. One of the things that I always try to do when I walk in an agency is I make everything transparent. Every I want to know, I want everyone to know how much everybody is producing, how many endorsements everybody is handling, how many um, accounts everyone is managing. I want that to be transparent because now transparency leads to accountability. Yeah. Okay. And I hear Eric talking about accountability on a regular basis with his clients. You know, it's that accountability for sitting down with your financial planner. Mm -hmm. uh, the accountability piece is sitting down with your CPA. You know, that's really where wealth is, is going to be built is if you had that accountability partner, as well as as well as our wives or our significant others. Yep. So. You, can't, you can't hide it. So the second one is accountability. You need that. The third one is automation and technology. Right. Utilizing automation and technology as effectively as possible. More millionaires have been made because of 401ks mm -hmm. than any other financial vehicle. Right. In the United States, as far as I know, I could be wrong. You guys are the experts on that. Sounds good to me. But 401ks have produced more millionaires than anybody. Why? Because it's automatic. And let me add. Because the money comes out. Let me add one more thing. It's automatic. And what are they taking advantage of, Billy? Compound interest. Compound interest, right? Yep. But here's the deal. This is why they should never uh, socialize like um, uh, Social Security or something like that. They should never make that a deal where a person is responsible for investing their Social Security for their retirement, whatever. I truly believe that, right? And the reason why is because we're not disciplined. We're not. The average person is not disciplined. The reason why 401ks work is because the money is taken out before it ever, mm -hmm. you ever see it. It's automatically set somewhere. It's automatically building up. It's automatically doing. If you could go in and take your 401k money before it hits your paycheck, you would never, ever have a savings. So I don't know if you, most people would never have a I don't savings. know if you've read the book, uh, Atomic Habits, uh, James Clear. Yes. There, there's a, there's a, Absolutely. there's a, a, a quote in that book that kind of ties this on a small level. Um, and every, anytime I read this quote, I think about you, I, actually. He says, We don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. And I think yes. automation and technology, those are our systems, the processes that we've yes. put in place. So you can have lofty goals, like, I mean, I want to retire at 50. Cool. You're 45. How much have you saved? Well, I haven't started yet. 
Oh my God. You're not <laughs> right. going to rise to love that goal. What systems are you putting in place now that you're going to yes. fall to? So yes. I, I think about that, that automation. And I go back to my military days with that allotment. Remember we talked yeah. about that allotment. Right. If I had had to take that money and actually it came to my check and I had to cash my check and take that 200, 300, whatever dollars it was and go to the bank and deposit it every two weeks, it would have never happened. There would have been some bill that come up, something that popped up, some, you know, I was single. So some girl I would have wanted to spend money on Hmm. some, I mean, something would have happened and that money would have never made it to the account, but because it was automatic, it was an allotment. I didn't see it. It automatically happened. So third is automation and technology. Fourth is delegation. If you're not good at it and you know you're not good at it, turn it over to someone else. Let them manage it. That's where you guys come in. A lot of people, they they are not in a position to make the best decisions for their life. I know so many people that could be so much more successful if they would just turn over their success to someone else. Right. And they just do what someone else tells them. That's why there are a lot of musicians and a lot of actors and a lot of whatever that are really successful, not because of their decisions, but they were smart enough to have a manager. Mm. They were smart enough to have a PR team. They were smart enough to have, you know, a promoter who who handled. They're like, look, you just go act and you let us do this. So I read something recently that said that that the skill to make money is different than the skill to keep money. Yes. So and there's there's yes. and I had this conversation with a lot of my business owners, people that we might cross paths with, and I say you're really good at making money, go make money. I'm really good at helping you keep yes. money and continue to build that wealth. Let me do that for you. Yeah, and a lot of people like I said, they shouldn't they shouldn't make their own decisions. I have children like that. I have five kids and two of them off the top of my head, I'm like mom and dad have got to make these decisions for you because you're not going to make a good decision. It's, it's just, it's not your nature to do that. And one of them is smart enough to let us make the decisions for them. And they're really moving ahead. And one of them is very arrogant and won't let us make mm. the decisions and they're not moving ahead. I mean, so. Mm. So kind of in, in, in light of these, these uh, uh, kind of the disciplines that we're talking about right here, I think you said, yeah. I think you said the lack of discipline is the most expensive item you will ever own. Yes. Lack of discipline is the most expensive item you'll ever own because it's the discipline that allows us to be who we are, allows us to get where we are. There, are, Think of all the athletes that were so talented. Michael Jordan is considered the best basketball player right ever, but he's the best active basketball player ever. There were probably basketball players on the streets of New York or Philadelphia or, or L.A. or whatever that were better than Michael, that had more skills than Michael, but they weren't disciplined enough to go through the process, right? Mm. To be able to get to the NBA. I think of people when I'm in, when I was in school that were so much smarter than me. I'm talking high school, college, all of that. So much smarter than me, but they didn't have the discipline to finish the process. One of the smartest kids I ever met dropped out of high school, right? Just, just didn't have the discipline to finish high school. He was so much smarter than me. I got a scholarship, went to college on a full ride. He didn't, right? When I went back home to visit a few years ago, he's still living at his mama's house beside my grandmother's house. This guy's 50 years old living at his mama's house, right? Why? Because now it wasn't he didn't have the, it wasn't that he didn't have the talent. He just didn't have the discipline. Hmm. 
So yes, lack of discipline is the most expensive item you will ever own. And that's why you have to practice the four types of discipline. Everyone only thinks of Mm self-discipline, but accountability, automation and technology, and delegation. You practice those and let those things work for you. It'll help overcome a lot of your lack of self-discipline. So that's why we have alarm clocks, right? Think about all the, the football programs or baseball programs or whatever that you've seen, like the Cowboys. You know, I'm a Dallas Cowboy. Jerry Jones is phenomenal at taking these broken players and putting a support team around them that wakes them up in the morning, that makes sure they go to their drug test, right? That makes sure that they get to their rehab, that makes sure they, I mean, a Come on, you had, you had to bring to the, up the Cowboys, huh, Billy? I'm just saying, goes to the club with these guys to make <laughs> sure that they stay out of trouble. Because they realize their self-discipline is not going to keep them out of trouble. We want their talent on the field, but their self-discipline is going to keep them off the field, right? That's what happened with Randy Gregory. You know, Randy Gregory went through all this drug, and the Joneses hung in there with him and did all this stuff. And the guy was, excuse me, guy was suspended for a year and did all this other stuff. And then contract time comes, he's like, dude, he forgot about all that stuff that you did for me. Now he's off to another team making more money. I get it. But I'm just saying that's a kind of discipline that we need. Sometimes it's not about us. Mm-hmm. It's about that accountability, automation, technology, and delegation, letting someone else take charge. So I'm going to take one other uh, one of your other quotes. Uh, okay. If you don't schedule time to create wealth, you will spend all your time fighting off poverty. Yes, I'm going to say that again because I, I think that's a powerful quote as well. If you don't schedule the time to create wealth, You'll spend all your time fighting off poverty. Yes, sir. I, I, I love it. Well, that's what happens in a lot of insurance agencies, a lot of businesses, period. We handle whatever falls in our lap versus creating the system of what we should handle. We don't know what to prioritize. We don't know what is rep. A lot of them don't even know what's revenue generating. I sit down and, and Eric inside the video library, which, you know, you're one of our, our, our mentees in the video library, we have this thing called a staff activity checklist where we literally go through marketing, prospecting, what non-licensed people do, what, you know, how's claims handle, how's endorsement handle, all this stuff we go through. And all those are revenue generating. And when I sit down with an agency and I say, okay, let's look at your non-licensed staff. We've got 14 things your non-licensed staff can do to make money for your agency. How many are they doing? Oh, well, I I got her answering the phones. Okay, great. But what is she doing when she answers the phone? Well, and so they can't tell me what makes money. So because they can't tell me what makes money, they're not scheduling time to make money. They're not scheduling tasks to make money. They're not making specific tasks a priority to make money. They're just handling whatever happens, whatever comes through the door that... That's the new priority. Whatever email popped in, whatever message popped in, whatever phone call came through, that's the new priority. And you can't and I, do it. I, I've, got a, I've got a client of mine. And one of the things that, that she and her husband do on a regular basis is they schedule out, they've carved out an hour of their day on Friday okay. to where they sit down and they talk about their finances. They talk about their investments. So that's their time to come together so that they can hold each other account, uh, accountable but also, what are we doing and how are we doing it? And, and because yes. of that, they're building their net worth because of that. Yeah, because, again, they, they're putting all the, the structure in place. They got the foundation, the communication. They got everything. So, no, that's, that's perfect. They're scheduling the time to create wealth. 
And again, even in businesses, even in, in that, we're talking individual wealth and individual money and finance. But most people, if they would just block off a couple of hours to make money, they could actually have more money to manage and they could make that money make more money. Mm -hmm. But they're so busy yeah. struggling. And I've talked to a lot of people and they said, Bill, you don't understand, man. I'm struggling. I'm going, but why are you struggling? You, you're just as smart as anybody else. You have the same 24 hours as anybody else. Why is your 24 hours spent on the struggle bus where someone else's 24 hours is spent on a yacht? What's the difference? Yeah, when, when, I, when I hear so, the word or see the word schedule, I think, of, I think of intentionality and purpose. And I think you're right. Yes, all, all too often, we, we react. Even with our personal finances, oh my gosh, I got a bill due, due tomorrow, we react. We're not proactive. We're not intentional and we're not purposeful with what we're doing with our money. So therefore we're in this constant kind of like firefighting mode, right? What's my next dollar going to do? And that's why we talk a lot about uh, the, the the idea of cash flow management. That's a fancy way of saying budgeting. Budgeting is not a popular word to say. Uh, but but right. what, what that is, is you're scheduling, you're being intentional with your future dollars. I don't have it yet, but when these future dollars come in, this is what I'm going to be doing with it. I'm scheduling that purpose for that money as it comes in. And I, th I think that's kind of when I, when, I, when I read that quote or hear that quote, if you don't schedule time to create wealth, you'll spend your time fighting off poverty. That's what I think about. You're just going to constantly be reactive as opposed to being proactive, purposeful, and intentional. But see, this is also where automation and technology comes in. So I'm an investor in an app called Stash. Okay. And what Stash does, there's a bunch of these different apps out. But what Stash does, Stash allows anybody to take five bucks, 10 bucks, do whatever, go out and buy these micro shares, right? Because you don't have a $500 to go out and buy a whole share, so but you got 10 bucks. So Stash will take that 10 bucks and put it with other people's 10 bucks and now you'll get a little, you may own 1 64th of a share, who knows, right? But it's automated. It allows it to do that. Stash also allows you like other places, allows you to pull the money out, put it in savings. So when we say schedule the time to create wealth, it's not always your personal schedule. Yeah. Sometimes it's about having the automation scheduled so that you can create wealth. Like for me, I have, a, I have money that comes out of my savings every two weeks. It comes out of my account every two weeks, has for years, always will, right? I don't see it. I don't touch it. It just comes out. Well, guess what? That's money even today. You know, I'm 60 years old. Even today, I wouldn't take that money and physically go to the bank and deposit it. I wouldn't, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But because it's scheduled through automation and technology, I'm still building wealth. You, I'm still you know, building wealth. You know, it's interesting to me, and this is, if you've ever read The Millionaire Next Door, um, yes. uh, the, the, the update has come out, The Next Millionaire Next Door. It came out about five or six years ago. Sarah Falau had her on the show a couple times. And- they, what they what they do is they study characteristics of millionaires, like what makes these people millionaires, and and kind of what we think and what we think the millionaire is. It's really not. It's really not. It's not the guy driving the hundred and fifty thousand dollar car. It's the person driving the the domestic truck living in living living in the, the Toyota Avalon and all yeah. That. And one of the things that that struck me, and I think surprises a lot of people, is that millionaires, even though they're millionaires. They budget, <laughs> they still save. That these are behaviors in their lifestyles. Um, yes. fr they're frugal, not cheap, 
They're frugal. Now, if you're making, you know, if you're a millionaire, let's say you have high income and you have a high net worth, being frugal, I mean, you you might be driving a sixty thousand dollar car. You're still frugal. You might be able to afford a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car, but you're driving a sixty thousand car, sixty thousand dollar car. You might be able to afford, you know, a six thousand square foot house, but you're living in a three thousand square foot house. So frugality, yeah. making those those spending decisions that are below uh, your means, even even when you've quote unquote arrived. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with a baseline. I know for us, this is real important. We don't spend beyond whatever we said we were not going to spend beyond. So that means if I said, look, the most I'll spend on a car is $70,000, I'm not getting an $80,000 car. You're not talking me into some new features and bells and whistles that's suddenly going to take that $70,000 car and make it an $80,000 car. And the justification is, what does it matter? You can afford it. Right? No. If this is what I budgeted, if I said $70,000, this is all I'm spending. End of story. Right? And the thing about me is cars for me are just a way to get from one place to the other. Like I'm just not into cars. I'm not, I've never been that person. They're just transportation. Right? So I still drive, I think it's a 2012 GMC Yukon or something like that. And my kids are like, dad, when are you getting another truck? I'm like, why? I'll just go wash this one. <laughs> you know, I'll wash it. They'll, they'll, I'll like, man, look at that. That's a good looking truck. And they're like, dad, that truck's like 10 years old. I'm like, but it has no problems. It has no maintenance. It has no issues. It's paid for. It's, it, you know what I mean? Because I'm not using my vehicle as a status symbol. I'm not using my vehicle to try to make my neighbors think, oh my God, look at me, look at me. See, and that's where ego comes in. You know, ego, I said that lack of discipline is the most expensive thing you'll ever own. Well, ego is the second most expensive thing you'll ever own. Ego is the main reason that most people are not successful because they're so afraid to pull back the curtain and let people know what's really going on. They're really afraid to let people see their money, see their bad habits, see their whatever. So they live this Instagram lie when it comes to money. You know, Instagram, everyone's amazing. Everyone's, you know, Every girl has a big butt and every guy has big chest and muscles and everybody's spending money and everybody's doing all this. I mean, everything's wonderful on Instagram, but that's not real life. You know, it's not real life. Yeah. We're, we're coming up on, uh, on, uh, I think we, we, we passed 30 minutes here. I don't want to go too much. Yeah, longer, I, I want to end stuff with... to edit out too. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to edit. We're going to have to edit half this stuff, man. This is, this is, <laughs> This is useless information, Billy. No, this is I could, I could sit here and talk, listen to this stuff forever. But I want to talk a little bit about, and I think we, we've we've mentioned it off and on, mm-hmm. is this idea of emotion and the impact that emotion has on behavior. So much of our financial success has to do with our behaviors, and we've talked about accountability and outsourcing. We, we kind of find ourselves right now in the financial markets in particular, where there's a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. right? Whenever we see the market being really volatile, there's a lot of, of emotion either right where right now what we're seeing is fear. Um, and then at other times we, you know, last year in the past few years, we saw the other emotion, the opposite greed, mm-hmm. fear and greed. So talk, talk about how emotion, uh, sets us up to make bad decisions. Exactly. Well, first of all, you have to understand what emotion really is. Emotion for me, again, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist or anything like that. I'm just talking about from a business standpoint. When emotion comes into play, that means there's a lack of a process. 
Okay, because a process eliminates or minimizes emotion. So if I have an investment strategy, even when the market starts doing all this crazy stuff, my strategy limits my emotion. If I have an investment plan, if I have an investment schedule, if you know, if I'm on a, like I think I'm on a, I'm on the for, forgive me what the name what the name is, but I'm on the one that when I invest the same amount of money regardless. Dollar, and dollar cost averaging. Buys more shares, dollar cost averaging. Thank you. DCA. I'm on a dollar cost averaging schedule. So when the shares are, are higher, I buy less. When the shares are lower, I buy more. But I put the same amount of money in regardless. So because I'm DCA, dollar cost averaging, my emotions are less. Most people, when it comes to money, the reason why they get so emotional is because they don't have a plan. They don't have a process. That's why it's so important that they come to experts like you who are going to lay out a plan. We're going to lay out a process so that they can control those emotions because emotions are going to make you make bad decisions because emotions magnify whatever you put them in front of. So if you put emotions in front of a problem, the problem seems bigger than what it really is. If you put emotion in front of your solutions, your solutions seem better than what they really are. If you put emotions in front of money, the money seems different than what it really is. If you put emotion in front of your goals, your goals look better or worse than what they really are. So you have to keep emotion where it's supposed to be, which means it comes after mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Establish the goal based on a structure and then let emotion fall into place after those things. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, we're we're humans. We're gonna have emotions. Yes. We're gonna have feelings. We we can't help that. But but you you once said that emotions uh, fills the space between thought and action. And the more processes and accountability you have in place, the more control you have your uh, over your emotions. And I think that that's key. Those systems, right? Right. If you've got a good system in place, a good strategy in place, when those emotions start to start to start to elevate. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're not good at, at kind of bringing those and wrangling those in yourself, it's always good to have somebody who, and not, we're not just talking about money decisions. We're just talking about like relationship yes. decisions. We're talking about parenting decisions, right? Your kid drives you crazy. You talked about your kid who doesn't want to listen to anybody, wants to do what they want. I'm sure there's a lot of emotion that comes into play and, and, and you probably have some kind of system in place to help kind of keep those emotions uh, tamped. Well, down. I have a process. I mean, with every child, we have a certain process. Like I have, a, I have a son at USC, you know, University of Southern California. We have a certain amount of money we're going to spend. So uh, if he wants to go to Paris, like he just, he just went to Paris and he went to Ireland and he went to all this up on his senior trip, I guess he called it, but we weren't paying for it. We already told him, look, we're going to give you this much money. This is it. And then after that, you figure out what you want to do on your own. So I think that's that's the thing. Emotion does live. It fills the space. Emotion fills the space between thought and action. And so the longer it takes us to take an action after we think about something, the more emotion gets in there mm. and really messes up everything. But for us, when we fill that space with processes, with structure, with with the four types of discipline. So if I think about something, I immediately try to fill the space with all of the other things that are going to limit the emotion. Because Man, I don't you want said, emotion you said gets the, in, I'm screwed. You said the longer it takes to, 
to have it to, to, to perform the action once you start thinking about it, the more emotion that comes yes. into place. That's why I, I think that is maybe the most concise and best um, reason to have a budget. I have already made a decision on what I'm going to save and what I'm going to spend. And there's not a much there's not much time for me to think about yeah. it. The decision's already been made. So once I have the money, the decision's been made already. Yes. That that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Billy. We could do this forever, but people don't have forever to sit here and listen to this podcast, man. So like, this is gold. This is gold. Well, I I absolutely appreciate it. You know, one of the things, because people are sitting there going, well, what is this guy? You know, uh, where does he get all this stuff from? Whatever. Guys, I didn't mention this in the beginning, but I am, my company is now worth about $1.3 billion from, I mean, we started this as a scratch agency, April 1st, 2004. And now when you add up all of our, all of our, I guess things that we own or things under management. I mean, when I sit down and I look at my taxes, you know, it says that we're, we're valued at about a $1.3 billion investment group. And this came from zero to 1.3. So the things that I'm talking to you about are decisions that I've made mistakes I've made. Trust me, this has not been a a gravy train. You know, again, everything's kind of like Instagram where we point out all our good stuff. God, I have lost much more money than I've ever made. So if I if I have a one point three billion dollar business, I could have a four billion dollar business if I knew what the hell I was doing. Hmm. You know what I mean? I've made a lot of mistakes. But the key is when the mistakes that you make don't hurt you so badly that it stops you from growing, you're still going to go much further. So a lot of times we need to just limit the damage that the mistakes Hmm. Mm -hmm. we make can cause. And I have a wonderful wife who's an attorney who is much smarter than me. And when I when she sees me making dumbass decisions, she calls she me on the carpet know, huh? for it. You know, <laughs> she calls me on the carpet for it, and I listen. I, I put my ego to the side, my arrogance to the side, and I go, you know what? You're right. I really need to just listen to you with this, and that's that accountability factor that we can't have. So, guys, like I said, if you guys really want to control your money, really think about those four disciplines: self discipline, accountability, automation technology, and delegation. And try to limit that self-discipline and bring more of those other three in and you'll move ahead faster. That's where you guys come in. You know, you're part of the you're part of that whole accountability, part of the delegation. And definitely you're going to show them automation and technology to be able to really help them with that. That's where you guys come into play. Man, Xavier, you're about to say I know you want to say something, but like you're just kind of. I'm, I'm overflowing, overflowing with, with content with, right with now. The knowledge that I've gotten out of this. I mean, this was great stuff today. This this was gold. This was definitely gold. Yeah. And, and, and if you're listening, let me let me share this. If you're listening and you're someone who's had success, okay, um, be willing to mentor someone. You know, mentor is someone who not they they just yes. it's not someone who knows information or who knows data. It's someone who has experience and can share that experience. And that because that's that's. This idea of plan wisely, our firm name, plan wisely. Wisdom is when you start to share that experience with someone and start to teach someone these things to help them have and experience the same success that you have had. So Billy, man, thank you for your commitment just to to, to sharing what thank you've you. known. Um, just there, there's a humility and a simplicity that I just absolutely love that is endearing to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking to continue sitting at your feet and learning more, brother. Thanks for taking time. I don't know about all that. I think we sit. I think we sit in chairs beside each other. But <laughs> we'll go. We'll go from well, there. Billy, it was great seeing you. I, I love the conversation today. Thank, Thank you. you. Look forward to doing it again.
No problem. No problem. I'll be down in uh, New Orleans playing golf, I think, in about a month. So I'll look you guys up when I'm down there. We, I'm going to hold your be, golf clubs, man. I'll come caddy for you. We may be crossing paths. I'm going to be in uh, Dallas. My uh, my cousin um, is graduating from high school on his way to Texas Tech. Very nice. Do you know what high school? No. I, I'll let you know. Okay, yeah, let me know. Let, let okay. me know. I mean, there's only like seven in Dallas, right? <laughs> 7D maybe. Yeah, I got you. All right, All right Joe. Yeah, let me know when you're going to be here. I'll be more than happy. You play golf, Xavier? I try. I'm not any good. I try. Well, that's golf, man. Nobody's really good at golf. Look, so. put me put me in a cart and a beer, and I'm good. Well, I don't so. drink, but I'll definitely put you in the cart. All right. All right, All right. Joe. Information presented and discussed on the Stuff About Money podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute direct financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial advisor prior to implementing any strategies discussed. Eric Garcia and Xavier Angel's branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated.